Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this LAMP virtual session. As most of you might know, my name is Bartlett Clellan. I'm the Senior Advisor for LAMP, Leadership Alliance for More Perfect Union, where I assist with LAMP programs and seminars, including a program for leadership training, just like this virtual dialogue right here. I know there are some uh, friends, regular friends of ours who are on, so welcome. But I also definitely want to make sure to welcome those who are new to the LAMP community. Thank you for joining us. For those of you who might not be familiar, LAMP, the Leadership Alliance for a Perfect Union, is a program hosted by the Joseph Rainey Center for Public Policy. We're dedicated to providing policy information to state legislators such as yourselves and creating and facilitating networking, brainstorming, and discussion opportunities amongst you, your legislative peers, and policy experts like those we have on today. I'm pleased to introduce today's topic and speakers. Each of them are going to take a couple minutes to give some context and comments, um, and then right afterwards, we'll move to a few questions, and we're going to open the floor for uh, questions for everybody. As many of you probably know, the extensive and reliable U.S. power grid has fueled our nation's growth since the 1900s. However, as recent events have proven, both in Texas and on the East Coast with, uh, with some cybersecurity problems have brought these things to mind, the grid, as we know today, does not have all the attributes necessary to meet the demands of the 21st century and beyond. It will take public and private partners to develop concepts, tools, and technologies to measure, analyze, predict, protect, and control the grid of our future. So let's get to our speakers. First, Sir Vincent Duane. He's a highly regarded leader in the U.S. ISO RTO industry respected by market participants and regulators for his expertise and ability to unravel and communicate the complexities of the industry in a practical manner, useful to decision and policymakers, and hopefully for me, because I find these things to be complicated as well. He's trained in finance and law and is fluent in engineering, economic, and technical elements of ISO RTO markets, in addition to the laws and regulations governing these markets. For over 30 years, he has worked either as an executive or alongside executives for industrial electricity customers, transmission-dependent public power utilities, merchant generation developers, integrated public utilities, energy trading and market firms, and independent system operators. Next is Alan Snow. He is co-founder and president of Grid 2020 Incorporated. Since 2011, the company is focused on creating its distribution transformer monitoring system, now marketed as the Advanced Transformer Infrastructure, ATI, that is, solution. Grid 2020's patented intergrid sensor suite provides utility operators worldwide with reliable, timely, accurate, and actionable information from within the heart of their distribution grids. With that, let me uh, first turn over to Vince, and uh, you can give us an introduction to your comments and let us know what's on your mind. Thank you, Bartlett. It's a pleasure to be here. You mentioned the uh, demands of the 21st century, so I'm just going to state the obvious and and summarize in three points what they are, as I see it. Uh, it's the penetration of renewable resources to address our needs to decarbonize the system. It's the broader electrification uh, of other sectors in the economy beyond just uh, the power grid. And uh, it's the trends towards decentralization and distributed resources. So these things, uh, as you point out, pose challenges. And I would say they're pretty profound challenges, and they present themselves in the economic context, um, the operational context, which is where we talked about reliability, and um, associated regulatory and political challenges. And that's the case because the bogey uh, hasn't changed. It's been this way uh, since the inception of the system. Uh, we must have reliable and continued secure services 
Uh, obvious recent events have just reminded us of that. And at the same time, uh, the service needs to be provided affordably or at least in a reasonable way. So the good news, uh, as I see it, is we do have new tools to address these new challenges. Uh, we certainly are much better at collecting, organizing, analyzing uh, data. Our computing power and the uh, processes we use there are so much better than they were previously. And that's very important to uh, deploy these kinds of advanced technologies because um, we need to do better at forecasting. We need to do better at extracting the value uh, that we have in the existing infrastructure. It's not always just a question of adding more. We need to be more efficient about the generation and transmission that we do have. Um, and one element that's particularly um, big for me is the question of whether the wholesale markets that are in place in two thirds of the country uh, can be adapted uh, because their design was predicated on uh, a very different world where there was generation, large generators um, with real operating costs and fuel costs. And that is the basis for pricing in these ISO markets. And price is an extremely important element of those markets uh, operationally. And we can get into that to the extent people are interested. And then finally, I think, even though there's good news about the tools, we need more, in my opinion. Um, we need to get some disruptive innovation, uh, storage, uh, hydrogen, perhaps, um, you know, where it comes from, I think you know we'll leave it up to the ingenuity, but we need to create environments that incent that ingenuity because if we're going to meet the kinds of targets that we've set for ourselves, um, we're going to need uh, more tools in the toolbox. And then of course, all of this is under the, under the environment these days where we're seeing increasing threats to the security of the system, um, both physical, which we've always had to deal with, but those physical threats have been enhanced by more extreme climate-related uh, uh, incidents. Uh, again, the situation in February in Texas, great illustration of that. And then uh, the cyber threats, which are more recent, um, but even those are evolving from a, uh, a set of, of preparations that uh, we would take to address uh, perceived threats from nation states and terror actors to ransomware now, um, which is a, a very different look to it, um, as evident from the colonial pipeline situations of last week. So I'm looking forward to the discussion today. These are complex relationships and trade-offs um, and challenges. Um, and so let's, let's get into it and let's try and talk about it from the perspective of people that can make a difference, which are the lawmakers and policymakers that we have joining us today. That's great. Ellen, do you have similar opening thoughts? Bartlett, I do. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. And, and obviously, welcome to all the folks who are out there joining us today. I, I must say, I'm thankful that I followed uh, Vince because he he's like my best setup man I've ever seen. So I want Vince and I to travel together in the future. But uh, uh, basically, the, the comments uh, that I would like to share, at least at this moment, is based initially on the fact that me personally, I'm, I'm just a guy that operates from a very pragmatic perspective. And, and I believe accurate data is always the key to proper understanding of things. And uh, from my seat at Grid 2020, I believe I'm seeing this um, ongoing development of some very sobering data points that really need to be surfaced and addressed. And it's not as though each one individually doesn't present enough problems, but collectively they present exponentially 
uh, increased problems. And so a few of them, I can't even begin to list them all. We don't have enough time today, but I'm going to hit a few that I think are pretty darn important. And a little bit of this plays off of Vince's comments. Uh, but one of the very basic elements I think that we can't lose sight of is we just came out of COVID. For the most part, we're basically on the outer side of that thing. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that many state budgets have been substantially stressed by the lack of economic uh, activity and therefore tax revenues, et cetera. And that just sets its own stage of worrisomeness for many people as it should. But then let's go ahead and make things a little more difficult. Now, let's take the realization into consideration that we are on the doorstep of the wildfire season all over again. It's kind of like we never even got out of it, and here it comes again. Um, it's not even really that we're on the doorstep. The truth is, we've already entered it. California had their worst year ever in history for wildfire in 2020. And the last thing I had heard is they already have exceeded um, same time last year. They're already further down the trail than they were a year ago. And conditions are actually uh, very dry and, and worse than they were a year ago. So that's not setting itself up well. Another element in this equation, this is a little bit towards some of Vince's comments. We have to just simply recognize and admit that we have an aging infrastructure, especially in the distribution space. The United States Department of Energy knows that. I've had conversations with uh, U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary, and they're absolutely very familiar with this reality. Well, why does that matter so much? Well, there's a whole bunch uh, as we now look at the federal, state, and even local level climate change initiatives that are unfolding right now, right? We're doing all kinds of things, electric vehicle charging stations. We're looking at rooftop solar so that we have distributed generation coming back into the grid. Those items are very unique. And quite frankly, our grid was never even designed to handle those kinds of impacts. It's unplanned and really unforeseen, but it's occurring. So then we coupled that wonderful stuff with the fact that in all reality, here we are in 2021, for the most part, our grid operators today, gang, do not have ample visibility of the conditions occurring inside the distribution grid, especially between substations and endpoint metering. And it just so happens that that section of the grid is literally the most vulnerable, the most volatile, and the most dynamic section of the grid. Changes are happening in that section of the grid every day from people running into power poles, knocking things down to fires happening to power theft occurring. There's just a, a litany of elements. So when we kind of boil it all together, I, I love that, that Vince commented about electrification and renewables and distributed energy uh, resources. He's exactly right. What we have done is we've spent the last 10 years trying to continue to understand and unpack these challenges that are developing literally right in front of us right now. And we have been researching and developing and trialing and testing and commercializing fast to install cost-effective intergrid sensors that remove that black hole experience that our operators are living with today, as I mentioned, between substations and endpoint meters. And the magnitude of importance of that, it just, it plays to public safety. It plays to the efficiency of our grid. It plays to our ability to even try to achieve the climate change initiatives that we're espousing right now. Um, but in some sense, the reality is we are in the process, in my opinion, and I will say humble opinion, that we are building our house on sand right now when it comes to all the climate change initiatives that we are trying to undertake. And I base that on the fact that we do have an aging grid 
Uh, we do have inability for utility operators understanding what's happening today, what's coming at their grid. And quite frankly, they only find out when trouble calls, power outages or fires are reported to them and they react. What we're doing with our technology is allowing for the first time ever operators to be proactively aware of manifesting conditions, get ahead of those actual problems, if you will, and prevent them from becoming costly problems or worse, public safety events and the fatalities and the corporate uh, bankruptcy filings that we've already seen one of the largest utilities in the U.S. go through that terrible experience. So I could go on, but I'll stop there, Bartlett, if you don't mind. I'm not sure where you're heading next, uh, but that's that's where I begin. Vincent, can you speak from the perspective of a, a grid operator on the reliability challenges and controlling supply to meet the demand? Um, and then with ever-increasing penetration of, because of, I should say, the ever-increasing uh, penetration of renewable and intermittent generation, which of course was a little bit of the discussion, if not all the discussion, <laughs> coming out of Texas. Anyway, Vincent, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, thanks. I got a couple points. Um, one is... Uh, well, let's step back for a second and understand that, um, you know, the job of the grid operator, uh, Alan described the operator, at the end of the day, it's to control the system and it has to be controlled in real time. The balance has to be met uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, right? What happened in about 19, let's call it 95, 97, is we began to introduce these ISO market models, and they brought a tremendously powerful tool to controlling generation, at least as generation was constituted back then, which is very different than what we're looking at today. Um, and that tool was price. Price in competitive markets transmits a lot of information, and you can use price if you set up the incentives correctly so that people uh, come on when they need to come on, go off when they need to come off. Uh, ramp up, ramp down. Uh, so that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I mentioned at the outset that, uh, you know, these ISO markets were designed with some assumptions that, you know, arguably don't hold, or at least don't hold as well today as they used to. And uh, the big one in this regard is whether price can continue to do this job when you're dealing with resources increasingly. Uh, these are renewable resources and they, they're not controllable in the same sense. They come on when the, the wind is blowing, uh, when the, the sun is up, uh, and uh, they don't, they're not what we call dispatchable from the system operator standpoint. And so they don't respond to price. Um, and that is a very profound challenge um, when you've been accustomed to controlling these broad regional areas that you see in places like SBP and in PJM and Midwest, uh, the Midcontinent ISO. Um, it's not a manual process where you've got system operators communicating by telephone or internet uh, communications to say, uh, come on, come off. This all happens a lot more um, behind the scenes through the use of price. Will that continue when we're dealing with an increased set of renewable resources? I think that's one thing. So what we're, we're increasingly facing is a history where we had a supply stack that was more or less controllable. Um, it was lumpy. And if we were interested, we can get into some of that. But it was more or less controllable, either manually or by price. Um, and demand was what we, it just had to be met. It was uncontrolled and it was there when it needed to be there. 
And if we're looking at control in the future from the system operator's point of view, and we're seeing we're now going to have supply that increasingly is when it's available, we take what we can get, we're going to need to look uh, to the demand side in terms of control. And I think that's where some of Alan's points are particularly resonate for me, because whether you're a distribution system operator or a transmission system operator, the key to control in the future is likely to rest down with the customer uh, and how we get, um, uh, you know, one of the most tragic things I think uh, out of the Texas uh, experience back in February were those pictures. And I, you probably saw them where um, you'd have people outside their houses in the dark, struggling to stay warm over an open fire. And in the background, the blazing skylines of Austin or Houston or Dallas were there because we really did not have a lot of that consumption was discretionary, but we didn't have the kinds of visibility to control that. Uh, and those, uh, the encores and center points of the world were unable to make the types of granular decisions necessary to sort of say, well, we don't need to be powering this skyline, but okay, there's a hospital here or there's elevators here. But, you know, it, it was fascinating and, and at the same time, so tragic to, for me to see all this discretionary consumption going on, which is to say wasted consumption. These are pandemic empty buildings and at the same time, people just around the corner, unable to stay warm. And uh, technology is, is the beginnings of the solutions to that, increased visibility. But the point I guess I'm making is the control of the grid is shifting from the supply side downstream uh, to uh, the customer. And we're going to have to figure out smart ways uh, to assist customers uh, and assist operators in identifying discretionary consumption and curtailing it or deferring it when we possibly can. There's a ton of great stuff in there, especially for uh, someone who enjoys uh, and understands a little bit of, but enjoys economics. Uh, I've never really considered how demand-driven that whole marketplace is. You're right. I come home, I want to flip on my switch and I want power. I don't really care about uh, the supply or unless it's not there. And then suddenly I care 100%. It's a complete binary uh, choice. It's either not there or there. That's, which is a very different marketplace than watching gas prices, let's say, go up at the pump or down at the pump. Very interesting. Um, all right. So hopefully we'll get some questions and get back to unpacking that before we, and I do have a question, at least one, if not two in the queue. Before we do that, um, Alan, let me come over to you for this one. So uh, when you were saying utility operators, do not have ample awareness of ongoing uh, grid edge developments. Specifically, what do you mean? I thought this is a great follow-on question, actually, from what we just heard. And can you elaborate on the relationship between an aging grid, climate change goals, and the, you mentioned some of the, or you kind of obliquely mentioned, but you mentioned fires, but particularly wildfire threats. I will take a swing at that. That's a lot, but I'm going to I'm going to do it as best I can here. Good deal. Uh, thank you. We have to get down to just brass tacks, right? I mean, I appreciate and I really mean it sincerely. I appreciate what Vince is sharing with the group, because from where I sit, he's sharing some important philosophic and procedural developments that are going to have to unfold here. But I'm kind of a, in a different place in this whole ecosystem. I'm at the solution delivery space, if you will. Uh, so Vince had used the terminology disruptive innovation earlier, and that's specifically what our tech 
technology is, is about to deliver. So Bartlett, to answer your question, I, I just want everybody to do that step back thing that Vince suggested a few moments ago as well. And I feel like I'm copying everything he says, but again, he's my best setup guy. So if we're really going to look at reality, we have to realize the fact is that historically our grid operators deploy their distribution grid system with some basic average standards and estimates that they utilize. And they'll place, for example, our transformer fleets, which is an area that I'm very focused on. Most of them were deployed decades ago. There was no imagination of reverse energy coming into the grid from rooftop solar into transformers 20 and 30 years ago when our fleet was deployed. There was surely no real recognition of substantial residential electric vehicle charging stations coming onto the grid 20 or 30 years ago when these fleets were, were deployed. And each one of those two elements I just made examples of are important because reverse energy creates an unbelievable amount of challenges for a distribution grid operator. My company has been actively involved with um, an IOU, an investor-owned utility in the U.S. who happens to lead the United States in per capita uh, photovoltaic introduction back into the grid. So I've got seven years of experience there. So what I just shared is very empirically true. And as we get into residential vehicle charging stations, gang, each one introduces one and a half to two um, additional unplanned homes of load on that specific upstream transformer. Well, that sounds like minutia. Who cares about that? We all should. And the reason we all should is what we're really talking about from the bottom up is bringing unplanned, unknown load onto the grid assets, which sets the stage for accelerated end of life of these assets, which leads to power outages that none of us want to see. It leads to asset fires, it leads to wildfires and all the problematic conditions that come with that all the way out to public safety issues. So what we're doing, uh, Bartlett, is we're providing this patented integrated sensor solution that is time proven, field proven, et cetera. And it provides utility operators for the first time ever, reliable, accurate, timely availability of information inside the grid so that they can truly understand proactively what is occurring instead of waiting again for that costly trouble call power outage or worse event that, that unfolds. And they're happening in real life today. They have been happening for years, but it's accelerating as we're all getting very geared up toward trying to appropriately address climate change initiatives. We're introducing a series of never imagined burden onto the grid that I've already established as an aged grid infrastructure. So I'm hopeful that as I'm trying to express some of these elements here, what I'm really suggesting without trying to be a fear monger, and I'm not trying to use a scare tactic, that is not it at all. I'm simply calling reality. And reality is we are building a series of innovations into an age grid where our utility operators today have no visibility until trouble has already occurred. That makes no sense to me. So I think disruptive innovation is what Vince had made mention of. That's what we're doing. And this intergrid visibility that will we'll deliver solutions, if you will. So just to carry that one step farther, we have been working on this advanced transformer infrastructure for years, and I expect that to, to do a lot of really good for us going forward. But we're now working on something that's even one step farther, and that is uh, referred to as grid-wide fire net in our world. But what we're doing, gang, is we are introducing a new level of um, technology that will allow us to create community-wide, outdoor, overhead, always-on sensing canopies that will have the ability to pick up outdoor smoke from wildfires, fires, whatever, have the ability to recognize ground surface fire temperatures on the ground that are occurring around power poles. They will have the ability to recognize humidity changes that are indicative of wildfires. 
and other conditions, ambient temperature change, et cetera. So our solution is going to bring the first time ever, not only visibility for the utility operators to prevent problems, but also the ability to early detect and auto alert when grid-induced fires occur or problems happen, and also when non-grid-induced issues happen, which is lightning strikes and arson and things that are just real life. You can't, you can't prevent them, really. They just occur. But our technology will early detect, auto-alert those things. And additionally, one technology, one solution, we will provide situational awareness to first responders and operators, which is very important. Time is always of the essence on these things to mitigate size and scope and cost and impact of these kinds of events. So I feel like I'm sharing a commercial about Grid 2020, and maybe I am. But I think what the reason I'm doing that is because we are deliberately building solutions that are about these real-life problems. They're unfolding around us right now. And we're either going to get in front of them or we're going to keep getting run over by them. Texas was a great example, but I'll give you a couple others that somebody should take a good look at. In 2017, we had Napa Valley fires that were unbelievable. We had 40-some deaths in that incident. Then we go to uh, Paradise, California in November 2018. And in one morning, we have 85 fatalities and 16 and a half to $25 billion worth of damage from one event. And then you can go into last year's record events in California in 2020. You can do it in Colorado. You can look at Oregon's 2020 events, which were historic. And so what we're trying to do, final point here, is bring a value to the marketplace. So I appreciate all the, the philosophical and the procedural and the overview points that are out there that are necessary. Again, I'm trying to deliver value right down to where the brass tacks happen and the rubber touches the road. And as a final point, something that I will share is empirically, we've done the study. Uh, we are in a position that with the new evolving technology that we're going to bring to the marketplace in grid-wide fire net, we believe, and empirically, I can back this up, that for every $1 invested, we will drive a savings value of 12 to $20 or greater with that kind of investment. And that most people are going to scoff at that because they're going to say, that's just ridiculous. That guy's crazy. I can empirically back that up. And we can use the Paradise California example as the perfect poster child situation of worst case scenarios that are coming true every year right now. And we're not going to dodge them. They're just here. Climate change has happened. Other things are occurring. Our grid is aging. We have problems. We're going to give the technology change that's necessary to allow our operators to get in front of this problem instead of always being behind it, as we've been historically. So more than you wanted, perhaps, Bartlett, but that's me when you rev me up and get me going. I'm a passionate guy. No, it's great stuff. Uh, frankly, it's great to see that passion. And I could talk to you guys forever. Uh, everything you guys say, there's like 20 more questions I have. Uh, but instead of me hogging all the time, let's go to a couple of questions uh, from the audience. And if we have a little time, I might get back to... A couple of these, but you're singing my song. I'm all about innovation. Uh, it's been my whole career, and uh, uh, and I understand the the need to to design the, the to explain the need for products. Uh, work in the software industry representing them. So I totally get where you're coming from. I think it's fantastic. All right, let's go to a question. Uh, I believe this is from Sharon in Alaska. Um, she addressed it to you, Alan. But let me get both of your thoughts on this. So. How can we get these discussions, like what we're having here, um, into our state states, in, in particular meaning state houses, uh, for prevention of possible devastation, such as what happened in Texas? Um, and I'm guessing, given that she's from Alaska, she's particularly thinking of the cold, but um, having lived in Texas, I also think of the other side. It gets awfully darn hot in the summer, and you routinely hear of a lot more deaths in the summer from uh, exposure issues than you do in, in the winter. Uh, sun's electricity going down. Uh, so let me do both. So how can, what are your guys' thoughts on how do we get these 
rubber hit the the philosophical all the way to the rubber hit the road conversations into our state houses so they can start effectuating change. Vince, would you like to lead? You've been doing a great job of setting me up. I hate to stop the momentum. Will do. Uh, right. In fact, I can key off of a, a term that we both used several times, and that's visualization. Um, you know, if you go to uh, a policymaker and you say, look, these are serious issues, I want to talk about visualization, I think you're probably going to lose people immediately because that's a bit of an abstract concept unless you happen to live and breathe this from the system operations point of view. But the question, you know, how do you get people engaged on what are pretty important questions? Um, Look, I think Alan's done a great job in talking about uh, the the importance of getting out ahead of these critical, I mean, just, you know, we're talking life and death type of situation. So uh, that should be, you know, I think an element of the discussion and it should bring people to the table. But, um, you know, another another point about visualization, and, I, and I, this might be illustrated, and I, I can't say I've actually dug deep enough to say this with confidence, but my intuition says, you know, there was a lot of controversy during the past wildfire season about the actions that were being taken by the Cal ISO and PG&E as far as, uh, you know, rotating through uh, blackouts and brownouts as they were dealing with um, the threat and potential for wildfires and were worried about lines sagging and all that. Well, if they were being, put yourself in the shoes of a system operator, particularly one that's just gone through the year prior, um, what happened in California, um, you are going to operate very conservatively. So all the unknowns that Alan described that you don't have good visibility on, you know, starting with ambient temperature, but all the you know, ground temperatures, um, all the other aspects of this are going to be reckoned with by the system operator and saying, well, I don't know, so I'm going to assume the worst. And they're going to operate the system in a very conservative way. And that's going to reduce throughput. That's going to require um, actions that are emergency type actions. Whether or not they're really necessary is a data and visibility question. Perhaps they were not necessary. Um, And perhaps lights could have stayed on. But until we get, quote, better visualization, and, you know, I can't speak to uh, Alan's technology, but the point he's making, I agree with wholeheartedly. It's not just about getting out ahead of, catastrophes, it's operating. Um, It's what I said at the outset, we need to get more, we need to unlock the value that's in our existing infrastructure. Yes, there's aged infrastructure, but the reality that we're going to wave a wand over it and bring all new shiny infrastructure, new substations and wires, and we're going to build, build, build. I think, look, you know, that, that kind of network upgrade and enhancement certainly has a place but we need smart ideas and technologies to unlock the value in the existing infrastructure we already have that are more incremental additions to the existing substation and delivery technologies and infrastructure rather that we already have uh, in order to give these system operators just you know a, a tremendously powerful tool in their tool bag and prevent them from going into the worst case operating scenario out of fear that, you know, we're going to get burned by what we don't know. And pardon the pun there, I didn't intend to. 
Uh, Bartlett, if I can go ahead and follow Vince, and, and I think it was Sharon you mentioned had, had asked this question. I, I think to uh, kind of directly address Sharon's question, I, I think it's really going to come down to the people that are on this call today. You have policymakers out there today that are looking for opportunities that are viable to deliver value to the communities in which they serve, whether that be the state level or down to their you know, local jurisdiction districts or whatever. And so it's going to come down to individuals at, at the policymaking level, the state legislators that have a desire to make a change, that have a desire to recognize that there's truly innovative technology being created in our country. Right here in our good old USA, we've got great innovation happening. But until some of that innovation can be elevated to the necessary awareness at the political level, perhaps at the industry level, at the all stakeholders level, and people can start to get their mind around the fact that there are already solutions that exist. They just haven't necessarily been adopted into the industry yet. So there's a bridge that's got to be crossed, right? And that bridge is going to likely be crossed by, I think, policymakers who recognize the types of technologies that are out there like ours. Surely we're not the only one, but like ours that are very innovative and very disruptive in a good way. Um, I, I would love for engagement, one person, 50 people, I don't care what it's going to be, to be able to share uh, the empirical information that we've accumulated throughout 10 years that will demonstrate that the kind of claims, if you will, that I'm making are legitimate, they're real, they're defensible. And at the end of the day, we are going to bring forward public safety protections, reduction in, in uh, inefficiencies in the grid, which is going to create cost benefits to everybody, all stakeholders. And we're going to avoid some of these other unnecessary disasters that are just going to imminently happen if we don't get data, artificial intelligence potentially being part of that as well. Uh, but get that stuff engaged and working to our advantage rather than talking about it. We can talk about it forever. Uh, and I'm going to give you guys a, a quick little story that happened to me. And, and this is not me trying to be a bad person or a smart aleck. And if anyone knows me, they know that's not my nature. But I personally was in the state capitol in Sacramento in August of 2018, meeting with staffers for assembly members. And I was expressing my company's perspective of concern that the California grid was positioning for very bad things to happen. In all honesty, I pretty much was told to go home, that I didn't know what I was talking about. That was right before session ended in August of 2018. You fast forward to November 8th of 2018, and in one morning, we had 84 fatalities as a result of a grid asset failure that burned through an entire town of Paradise, California, and created unbelievable numbers, statistics, whatever. That kind of stuff does not need to happen. But somebody out there has to recognize it's going to take technology that's innovative, it's going to take data that's valuable and reliable, to put us in a position to get in front of things instead of always chasing them and trying to spend countless dollars, exponential more dollars to do aftermath cleanup than you could have done to prevent the problem from occurring. And that's where I think we are the proverbial poster child for an ounce of pre prevention is worth a pound of cure. And we're dealing with pounds of cure right now that are painful. State budgets can't handle that anymore, in my opinion. So there you go. Your guys' answers, um, and this leads me right to the next question, but there are so many parallels with what is going on, what was going on with broadband internet service uh, in the last decade. It's it absolutely amazing. I, I, and that, that's more of a world that I've come from from a policy standpoint. The, the parallels are just uncanny. It's a discussion for another time, but getting legislators to understand what technologies 
can drive a current system to a better place, even as new parts of the system are built on, an enormously difficult task, uh, one that they had to take on in that industry. And hopefully you guys will be just as successful, which leads me uh, to, the, to a piece about, or a question particularly about technology um, and where things stand today. And that is around cybersecurity. So the question teed up here is, and I'm gonna change it up just a little bit, but I'm gonna hopefully get to the, the same point. So smart grid certainly has come with a lot of promise and, and maybe let's call it hype even, uh, whether in publications or by some uh, thought leaders or speakers, there, there is a potential downside and we may have seen part of that on the East Coast with the, the uh, pipeline. And that is that you're now open to cyber attacks. So what is the, what is the current thinking? What's your guys thinking and what's the trade-off here? Or is it not a trade-off? Am I uh, being too biased? You go online, you have a smart grid, that equals greater risk on cyber, but how does that compare, and how does that pile on top of maybe some of the physical challenges of our current older system, um, as you guys have already laid out? Do you mind if I switch it up a little bit on this, Vince, and I'll try to set you up as well as you've done for me? I, I can't promise that, but I'll try. Uh, Bartlett, I'm going to give you an analogy that just popped in my head as you were expressing your point, point. and what hit my head is what hit me in the head maybe is um, once upon a time, somebody said, you know what, we have to get away from, from square wheels that are made of stone and we got to actually have rubber tires. Wouldn't that make sense? You know, what, what would that do for things in the world? And, and I think we're kind of at a place like that, right? So we're at a point where we are, we are more dependent on electricity today than in the history of mankind. And everything that we're looking at from President Biden's um, climate change initiatives on down is driving more pressure into the electricity dependence of everyone in this country and beyond around the world. Right. So here we are in a, in a 21st century environment and we're struggling with a fear of cybersecurity, which is a real one. But we can't have a fear of cybersecurity stop all the other necessary advancements that we collectively must make in society to advance everything and everybody, right? And, and achieve our climate change goals or whatever. So in my humble opinion, what I think we've got to do is move forward with a smart grid. We don't, we have maybe a smarter grid today than we did 10 years ago, but we do not have a smart grid today. I, I could easily defend that statement. But we will, my company, as being one of the solution providers, is going to dynamically change to a more smarter grid by availing information, data, empirical, reliable, timely, accurate data from in the grid. And we are going to change the view capability of operators and all stakeholders understand what's happening. That's going to change everything, in my opinion, of how we're going to handle our future growth needs. But simultaneously, Bartlett, to whomever may have asked this question, we're going to have to deal with reality. And unfortunately, we're in a world where some people have to tinker with good and create bad. And whatever that's about, they're going to try to bring down our advancements I think we just have to accept the reality that it's there. And what I'm hopeful is even the kind of data that we're going to drive out of the grid will be used to feed into artificial intelligence platforms and recognize anomaly changes that are occurring in the grid where someone is coming in trying to hack, right? So we're going to be able to escalate the awareness at an earlier stage of a penetration attempt from a hacker, as an example, to, I hope, facilitate people responding more quickly and getting in front of a pipeline ransom type deal or whatever Instead of, again, being on the backside of that and having to deal with all the problems that they create, we got to get in front of this and data is going to be our driver to put us there. 
Um, yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. It is a challenge. Um, we want to get smarter for all the reasons we've talked about, but it does come with risk. Um, and I think, you know, uh, to be honest, grid operators have done a pretty good job to date of staying out ahead of those risks. Um, but, you know, you don't, you, you never declare victory in this area. Um, you've got to maintain vigilance and it starts with the culture. Um, I think the good thing is because, you know, operators have always had this sort of inherent pressure of, God, I got to keep the lights on all the time. I'm flying a plane that can never land. Um, you have the right sort of DNA in the control room and in the system operators world to address the kinds of, or to at least anticipate and, and to take seriously the kinds of threats that, um, that we're talking about today. Uh, like I said, at the outset, I think you got to anticipate moving um, or expanding uh, the scope of concern to not just um, terror and nation states, but to more individualized bad actors and think about ransomware issues as well. This is going to sound kind of uh, philistine, but I think there's certain operations um, that, you know, we should have a good hard look at as to whether or not they can come off the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, that sounds like I'm swimming upstream from everything we've just been talking about. Um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to suggest that large scale uh, aspects of uh, grid operations have to migrate off the Internet and go back to, um, you know, communication, radio or optical or uh, other types of uh, the old fashioned telemetering and SCADA that we used to use. But there are probably some things that can be done there um, that would reduce uh, the risk profile substantially enough. Um, you know, this goes back to a point we, we made too, uh, a second ago. Um, when you're a utility, the idea of addressing risk is always to build and it's to build infrastructure and it's hard to build, uh, new substations, uh, for many reasons. It's hard to build new transmission and to site new transmission. Um, so reducing vulnerability, and I think this is where, uh, Alan's ideas really do have some currency, it goes back to the same point. If we can get more out of our existing infrastructure through smart technologies, we're also going to, in addition to bringing the sort of efficiencies we've been talking about, the cost benefits and, and the insurance policies against sort of the, the, the catastrophic circumstances, we're also going to manage vulnerability. We're going to have less vulnerability because we're going to see the full potential of the existing infrastructure we have and that will give us optionality to address, uh, you know, the threats where things do get compromised. Um, so I, I think there's a role in that context as well for the sorts of uh, technologies that Alan is describing, because I do think it can help serve to reduce vulnerability. Um, I think we've taken care of the questions. So let me ask if you guys, and we have a couple more minutes left. Uh, let me ask if you guys have any quick comments that things we didn't get to or things you'd like to wrap up with before we go. And I'll go to you first, Alan. 
All right, sir. Uh, thank you. And, and I'm going to somewhat apologize here for downloading so many thoughts and ideas or whatever in this in this session. And yet that's you know, what I signed up for. And, and hopefully uh, for those who are out there listening, perhaps there's a shred of value in these points. But I, I think, um, you know, as we're going to sign off here, my hope is going to be that someone out there, uh, Bartlett, will have heard a couple very salient points that are practical. And those practical points are some of the elements that I made mention of earlier. We cannot deny our own reality today. Our reality is we've got financial pressures on us as a result of COVID. You can't deny it. We've got wildfire pressures on us. You can't deny it. We've got climate change issues. They're here. We've got an aging grid infrastructure. It's for real. We've got operators who do not have necessary visibility into the the space that they're operating until it's too late. Uh, That's real. And we now have emerging technologies and available technologies that can address that that were created right here. And and there's just no reason, in my opinion, for us not to take advantage of those opportunities, if you will, to address the liabilities, the risks, the advancements we all hope to make. Uh, it, it's, it all fits together just fine, but it's not going to fit together just fine if we don't find the right people in this world who want to evangelize or espouse the embracement and adoption of the necessary technologies that need to be leveraged to our collective advantage. So again, I'm, I'm hopeful somebody out there is going to say, hey, you know what, in my state, I don't want to see a California, Paradise, California, whatever uh, event happen in my space. I want to talk to these guys and see if they can help us avoid that. Um, And that's just one area that I'm hoping there's an on-ramp that we can sort of address what Sharon had asked earlier. You know, how do we get houses and how do we get individuals appropriately involved at the political leadership level? And I think it's just going to take somebody reaching out to subject matter experts like me and like Vince and truly engaging in conversation that's more than conversation. It's designed to achieve action at the end, not just converse. We, we can talk about stuff forever. It doesn't fix anything. We need to take action. So I think we're here to deliver action. Vince, go ahead. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll build on that. And I mean, uh, this would be what I would leave as sort of the takeaway. Um, if you're coming at this and you've been in this business, uh, whether you're, uh, you know, in a legislative capacity and uh, you're working with the public utilities and the industry in your state, or whether you're at the regulator or you're on staff at a public utility commission, you're accustomed to looking at problems and, and, and the tendency is to look at infrastructure and assets. That's the maybe it's a capital intensive business. It always has been. And that's the way we have addressed things to date. Um, my challenge to you all would be listen also to those people that come in and want to talk to you about information. We are in an information age. Um, and talk about things like artificial intelligence and big data and blockchain and things like that. We need to harness the information we have. Uh, We need to make it actionable for the grid operator because we're not going to be able to build our way out of these challenges or around these challenges. We're going to, no question, build and create jobs and all the sorts of things you've been hearing about coming out of Washington. But we're also going to need smarter solutions on top of the existing infrastructure um, and, and get more value out of that, get better visibility of it so we can operate better um, with less conservatism, uh, less redundancy, less vulnerability. So don't, you know, I, and I'm not trying to make a pitch for Alan and his, his technologies, but he's on the right path in my opinion, in one big respect, and that is listen to these guys as well as your uh, external affairs guy from public utility service company XYZ, who's also in your offices talking about the distribution system and and needing to 
harden and build out and end of life. All that's, it's not invalid, but it's not the complete picture. Thank you both so much. Thank you for this whole thing. Thank you for those closing comments and bringing us in right on time. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. These LAMP virtuals will continue. Make sure to keep your eyes open for the emails and check out the website. The space is always limited, so make sure to sign up early. We try to keep these intimate uh, groups so that everyone gets their questions answered. And we always try to have experts like we have today, people who are top-notch in their their fields. Alan, Vince, again, thank you. And then thank you all in the audience for joining us today. Until we see each other again, stay safe, and I look forward to next time. Bye-bye. I hope also all of you out there will plug into our work here at the Rainy Center by subscribing to our newsletter and following us on social media. Check out our website at www.rainycenter.org. And you can do those things uh, through our site, signing up for the newsletter and following our social media. Also, drop us a note if you've heard something you like today or you have any further questions. We'd certainly love to hear from you. From all of us here at Rainy Center, from the team, thank you for listening. And again, thank you to our speakers.